Carousel Chalkies. Maury. Right, um, we are not the father. That is what we learned today. Um, yesterday. Yesterday, yesterday. Uh, we went backstage, we took uh, paternity tests, and um, we are not the, uh, Matt and I are not the parents of Carousel Cameron. Oh, Carousel Cameron. <laughs> uh, the young kid who we found abandoned on the street in Stamford, Connecticut. Yes. And happened to bear our name. So yeah, we uh, let's jump right into it. The uh, we headed to the most stimulating of places in the modern world, which is in Stamford, Connecticut. Right. Yeah, we had to get on a bus at Harlem and 125th Street, and then we the studio was in uh, Stamford. It is also where they film the Jerry Springer show and the Steve Wilco show. And all Matt, three. Matt, you want to run those down, run through those a little quick? So, yeah. So all three all shows quick. are essentially the same show. Right, so they're all the same show, but with different um, focuses on what's important. So with Maury, it's about truth. It's about getting the lie detector answer or the paternity test answer. With Steve Wilkos, it's about order, because he's a former cop, and he was used to be Jerry Springer's bodyguard, and it's about maintaining order and enforcing rule of law. And yeah, that's what it's about. It's about order, societal order. And Jerry Springer is just pure chaos, because there's no goal. There's usually not an actual goal. It's just people venting and being cathartic and hurting each other. Right. And if there's anyone not familiar with any of these three programs, I implore you to look them up on YouTube. This is not your run-of-the-mill Judge Judy, your run-of-the-mill... Amanda Show. What do people even watch Amanda these days? Show. I don't, what, what if, no, that that's an old TV show. What for children? I right, know. right, right. What do people watch these days? Daytime TV. You get the View. You get the Today Show. Well, yeah, but I mean things like this. Maybe even like reality TV. Right. Well, this is this is advertised as like a talk show. This is just like your standard, like your, your right, talk show. Right, but it's not, folks. It's, right. Yeah, it's not the View. It's not the Today Show. Um. But I mean, most people do know what these shows are, especially Maury and Jerry. Those I feel like it is on par with Judge Judy. It's it in, is. The in the same cultural vein. They're in the same cultural vein. Daytime right. TV. Right. But this is the pettiest, dirtiest, smelliest drama. It's like um, uh, there's a conflict over uh, uh, a, a woman and her husband or ex-husband over who's the father of a child. That's the most common thing that seems to come up on Maury, right? It's either paternity test or a lie detector test. It's either babies or cheating. Right, babies or cheating, precisely. And and often they're too, they're very intertwined. Often you get both in one story. Yeah, so you get a lie detector test and a paternity test in the same segment. Now, Maury, to me, was a wax figure of an individual. Very creepy. He's old. How old is he, Matt? He is, um, I think, 72. Right, he's 72 years old, and I think he's been doing a variation of the show for 25 years now, and who knows what he was doing beforehand, Um, but this isn't even, at one point it was with a major studio like NBC, but now it's not with any major studio. Uh, Maury and Jerry Springer and uh, Steve Wilkos are with U.S. Studio, which is... Something like that, It's 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 syndication. Right, and it's syndicated to like local TV uh, channel nine, CW eleven, things like that. My nine, right, that kind of uh, programming. Right, and we went to this. Um, uh, why did we go to this? We went to this because because it is the most stimulating of programming, and it's so, it's kind of like it certainly was. It's 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 extracting any. It's kind of like you're getting a steak. 
and we're cutting off the fat. And, we're not, and, and from there, we're not even, like, eating the steak with just the fat cut out. We're extracting the pure protein. Like, this is the pure, stimulating, cathartic energy, which everyone wants to consume, but, like, everyone would feel too dirty if they just lived their lives like this. If everyone just consumed this, or just go and sing to these levels. Like, we like to live Doses in, of it. Yeah. I think we like smaller doses of it into bigger things like no, I politics th- I, no i think we all wish we had this level of catharsis but we like to add subtext and we like to evaluate things and we like to add some sort of sense of meaning to it whereas on these shows there really is no meaning people are just doing stupid shit because that's what they do and they don't evaluate their decisions they just explode with energy at each other and then we all cheer and everyone wishes they had that level of energy but to really reach that level of energy you would need to remove right. all sense of subtext or meaning from everything you do and Matt and I just want to clarify that our judgment is intended to be universal. This is about this is a human thing. This right this yeah. this level of just I'm craving the catharsis as uh, we talked about on our last episode, creating toxic situations um, out of boredom, and you're bored and you're bored because of you know out of boredom and out of that existential dread, just creating um, toxic situations. And we certainly got some of that with Amori. We show up, we see huge cutouts of him and Jerry Springer. And There's, Steve in, on a balcony. Right, on a balcony. Uh, the music was very ominous. There was like a ho-ho-ho rap song. Yeah. That was fucking weird. Yeah. I, yeah. Right. Um, we missed the first uh, uh, screening, but we got pe- free pizza out of the deal. And then... Uh, off from the off from the front doors comes a whole drunk fraternity of University of Pennsylvania students, and they are going to add like a level of energy to the mix, which probably wouldn't have been there if not for them. No, but one, once they got ready to film the third episode, they made extra sure to try to pump up energy. Right? They were right. dancing around. They were giving out the giveaways, and there was still a high level of energy. I don't think that fraternity played as big of a role in the third episode as they did in the second one. Right. Right. And in the third, they were trying to capitalize on the fraternity. Yeah. That 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 they, brought, they brought that the energy. authentic energy in the second. Yeah. Right. Um. So we uh we go in. These the these situations for the most part are so fucking similar. Is there any point to even really going into the stories? No, there's no point in talking right. about the stories. It's just the overall experience. Right. Like we could spo- like the episodes haven't aired yet, but we could spoil all of them, and it wouldn't make a difference. You wouldn't recognize one from the other. Right. Right. Exactly. Unless we remembered the names, which we right. don't we, for the we most don't. part, except the one crazy brother. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that that stuck with us, and that was kind of the turning point of the day. I thought because it was just so intense. Right. That was the one story that we we remember because they don't have that happen usually. Right. So going in, Matt, I uh, just wanted to have the most stimulating day ever. I was a little bit more skeptical. I uh, considered bailing on the whole thing a couple times. Uh, Matt can attest to that. I was a little flaky about it all, but um, I was concerned that there was going to be kind of, it was going to be something really ugly. Beyond just the situation themselves, the audience would just judge the people so harshly and take sides, and kind of like the scene in Game of Thrones where there were, uh, oh, spoiler alert, the scene in Game of Thrones where um, Cersei's just being uh, uh, flogged 
flogged is the term, right? Yeah. When you when you committed a sin and the and they and they hit you on the back while parading you through the streets naked, I thought it was going to be that kind of experience and all the crowds just hooting and jeering. Um, but what I was what I was relieved to realize was that a lot of the emotion of the audience is very manufactured. Mm-hmm. There's uh, state there's um, production assistants and stage managers that are not only giving cues of when to boo and when to clap to the audience, but feeding certain lines to the show members to the guests on stage to keep the story moving so like if they're rambling they'll hold up a cue card that says um but we're gonna learn the truth now because we're gonna find out the results like they they're they're not telling them what they believe they're they're guiding their experience through the show and making sure that their time from introduction to revelation takes place within around 11 minutes yep and one of the ca- one of the cue cards we saw was um, uh, like today we find out the truth something like that and then yeah. it would like it naturally kind of fits into kind of the the what the guests are saying the yeah, guests they, will be the like, guests could be saying anything and then say but today we're gonna learn the truth right and just then that to, just changes the course to bookend with to bookend it with a little bit of that kind of like um, theatrical drama. Yeah. Even though, like, and the thing that would precede that would literally be the most baseline thing. Like, you're lying. I know you're lying. I know you're lying. We Today we find out the truth, and that was what was fed to them. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, enti- the entire experience is, 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 like most TV tapings, is very quick. They, 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 don't, they don't, time is money, so it moves incredibly fast. You're oh out before God. you even realize what Maury happens. Maury just ushers people out who are tearing. Like, <laughs> it's just, like, it's very systematic. And, and, and... The audience doesn't give a fuck, like because you're just so. It's bizarre. Just the le- even though you're like 20 feet away from these people, there's like this filter or like almost like a screen that you just feel that's there where you are a member of this audience and everyone is on the same page. That we don't take any of it genuine. I mean, there were probably a couple of people in the audience who took it seriously, but the, the, the vast majority just saw this whole thing as a farce and a weird joke. So, people could be on stage doing literally anything. And we, we just like the sight yeah. of just energy happening. And when they're talking, you're, you're not you're almost not even listening. You're just waiting for you're just looking over to the director or the stage manager, waiting for them to just wave their hand or give a thumbs up or a thumbs down, so you right. know how to feel whether to boo. And you're booing people. And I mean, this is a common thing you'll even see on Mori is that you boo people before they've even begun to explain themselves. Oh my God! Yeah. For no reason, you're booing them for, and it's very clear on TV. Like we were saying, like. Even before we went to the show, we're like, why are people booing these people? There's no reason yet. They just chose to hate them? Like, that didn't make any sense. It was right. clearly manufactured. The formula of the show, by the way, is that you start off with uh, someone with the initial gripe yeah. sitting with Maury, and then they bring in the characters, the accused. Mm-hmm. Um, you always cheer for the person who's out first. Right, exactly. And, and then, then they show someone... some kind of a video right. that's very intense and... Is the video usually of the person sitting down or the uh, the other people? It's usually the other people in the yeah, video. Yeah, it's the bad guy. Right, to kind of give them their like preliminary voice or whatever. But, but it's the, always edited to make them look crazy evil. Right. No matter what. Black and it's always black and white. Yeah, it's the black videos, and white, high and contrast, the stage managers screaming. Just, like like they scowl their eyes and they do a th- thumbs down to us and they're giving us our cue. Boo! These are the enemies. This is who we're supposed to hate. Yeah, it's 1984. It's right, it's 1984 eight. with, um, what was it, Emmanuel Tim- Goldstein? Yeah, I think, I think he was so, the character, actually, yeah. right. And it's uh, kind of like um, MSNBC and Trump. Same kind of shit. 
A little bit, although there's no explanation. Like here, it's again, it's just the cathartic energy. You don't care if what they're saying is right or wrong. You're just booing, and no one actually is getting invested in these stories because you only have 11 minutes with it, right? You don't like. You would think that when you watch Maury, they edit down maybe an hour or so or converse, right. of conversation, and then they, you know, that's why the audience is so invested and they're yelling. No, it's like you have 11 minutes with these two fighting individuals, and because you have no time to actually get yeah. invested they tell you how to feel and they just get you to yell and be invested in the story. And until we met the bullying evil mother, who we'll get to pretty shortly, um, the first, uh, because we saw two episodes with three stories each, the first two to three stories, um, we were also sitting in the back, but I think Matt agrees. It was, um, we really had no connection to these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, even if we were up close... Which we were in the second right. episode. We were in the sep- second episode, but that also could have been the shock of... At least I realized how top-down and formulaic it was. To the point where it really didn't even matter what the fuck they were saying. The audience did not care. We would just... We would y- boo or shout on demand. You were just waiting for your cues rather than listen to what they said. Right. And, like... Especially bef- especially in the first show we saw, not as much the second, the content being created by these feuding maniacs, the guests, it, it was enough to provide, you know, substance, but it wasn't what was, it, it wasn't driving the audience, and the intensity in the room of the studio was just completely top-down. Yes, and, 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 and then part of it is just how quickly it moves, right? So you would think that, like, logically you would assume that they edit down, each of these stories probably takes up an hour of filming, and then they edit it down from there, and there's, like, large breaks. we never assumed that going in. We we hadn't discussed it, but it's just kind of, like, you would think that they spent more time with them. Okay. You you would think it's a bigger thing when these people come in, and it's not. They they film their segment, which you see all of on Mori, right? They, They use up all 11 minutes that they have up on the stage. And the second it ends, and the second that someone runs backstage... Whoever's left on the stage, no matter their hysterical situation or, or no matter how great the revelation is, they just get ushered off the stage, off, and before you know it, there's someone else sitting in the chair, and it's just happening again. And, like, when they go into those backstage segments, you think that that must go on for a while, and maybe they have ru- cameras oh, running, but they're not. Right, because right, right. Because we've... S- Maury would come out with the next guest well, after following them to the back room, within yeah. a 60-second time frame. No, yeah, it would... As we were co- forty seconds. No, there were still people like ho- hooting and hollering from the last one as someone came out and sat down in the chair. Like it was just so quick. It's a conveyor belt, um, and they would do that three times, three times in a row. And then that was, and then that was like a, what, a twenty minute intermission before they did it three more times. Yeah, so three three times back to back to back with twenty minute intervals between three episodes. Right. There is no way this guy Mori Povich cares not about any of this there's no way clear. yeah i mean and he didn't try to he doesn't try to hide it he doesn't try right well well it's weird i mean i don't know why people perceive him as just kind of a receptive host right maybe it's the stupid black sweater he's always wearing but or, or dark blue but he he doesn't talk much he'll like make a, he'll clip a comment here and there very light 
And then he's and then think about how many he goes through nine stories with every filming. Mm-hmm. There's no way he gets invested in any of this shit. He's not like a he's not like an actual therapist who tries to get to the root of your problems and deconstruct them and then help you put together a solution or a program. He he's just there kind of providing like a glossy I wouldn't even call it a mediation. What would you what would you call his role in this? He's not even facilitating. Well he plays the audience member. He plays the audience member on stage. Because, like the audience and the viewer at home, they don't. He doesn't genuinely care about those people because he never met them. They're just two random people filled with vitriol and hate. That he kind of looks with that confused scowl of his, where he's kind of like, "Oh, this is interesting," and he makes a couple of quips and a couple of light, humorous remarks, and saying, "Well, that's not good," or, "Well, I guess I can see things from that angle." And he's not really taking sides or really saying much of anything. Um, so he plays that sort of just inquisitive audience member that's just kind of amused by it, but still just has this general um, aesthetic of being a paternal figure in the situation in the studio that is made to look uh, like a like a talk show therapy room. Yeah. So it's it's the aesthetic that really sells him as being in any sense um, empathic to these and people, like a very very shallow, like a. V- at the bare minimum of an aesthetic, right? There's not yeah. much going on. We're looking at his outfit. Um, the you know the the windows, the the scenery was fake. It was very, the studio is very fake. You got the M logo everywhere, but like you, you know nothing about this. Nothing about this was uh, authentic. That one woman we met in the third story of the first shooting we watched. Mm-hmm. There was like a genuine horrible mother just accusing her daughter, just berating her daughter over and over again on stage, like cursing. Like I'm, I'm already forgetting what made this woman so unique. Well, what happened was first she came out and she was just screaming and cursing, which the previous two stories didn't have. There was, it was more civil. There was some oh, anger. She was loud, person. right? She was incredibly loud. She Directed towards Maury. And uh, yeah, she, she started. Well, what she did was she broke the, the fourth wall. She, she directed a lot of anger at the audience, which made the audience a little more invested. She was booing the audience. She was hissing. Um, right, because she said you, vulgar you things. You also got to remember there was a fraternity in the audience, a drunk ass fraternity just they were passing going. Out. One, right, a couple kids were passing out. They were just going crazy. They were booing on command with n- not giving a single shit about actually kind of like having a judgment. Yeah. And the, and the lady, this mother who was just filled with hate and, and, and just pure psychosis didn't really understand where she was in the sense that I feel like she took the audience really seriously. Like, she got incredibly angry at the right, audience she first. she called out the people, you people in the back, you don't know me. Yeah, she starts screaming, you don't know me. And they, and you can see, like, anyone who's booing is smiling because it's just, like, it's fun. Um, and then she sat down, and I think she yelled something maybe at the director. Because the, I remember her, like, a, right. she was a stunned look on her face. The director looked completely, like, shell-shocked. Right, she, I don't, she never got the program that this is kind of a controlled thing, you know? And yeah. some of the other guests maybe passively or very consciously or whatever, they they realize that they're playing, they're, they have a job to do, and that's to be entertaining. She, at one point, she was speaking directly to the stage manager or the director. We're not sure uh, who she was, uh, well, what role she, what position she had, but she was saying, I'm not going to do what you say, something like that. Yeah, she yelled out, I'm not going to do what you say to the director, and then she turned to Maury and said, this is my show now, which was weird. And she just starts scrolling obscenities. At one point said, "Could you wrap it up a bit?" Yeah, because she just was just couldn't stop talking. And I think the 
I, I think she's the director because she just seemed to facilitate the whole thing. She she was like giving signals for her to stop, and she's like, "I'm not gonna do what you say." And then even before they could bring out the lie detector or the uh, the, um, the paternity test, she just got up and stormed out, just out of nowhere. Oh my God, we heard her cursing into yeah. a microphone. Yeah, they did. Minutes later. Yeah, the, and you could hear that she was cursing she out said productions. The N-word, she was right. cursing out production assistants backstage, and Maury just looked. Yeah, I mean, all the production assistants just looked utterly shell shocked, and they didn't know what to do. Um, and, and the second she walked out, because it was a TV show, I just figured, well, this is this is manufactured enough that someone will just guide her back in the direction and she'll wind up on stage for the reveal like it's supposed to happen but no she was not coming back that was right. it so she she broke it like she she broke the system momentarily and that was interesting that yeah that to me was the turning point of our experience watching the show because like once my my view of it is like once once we saw the potent, once we saw that the audience members did have this is how I see it once we saw that the guests, not the audience members, do have the freedom to reject the formula in in a certain case and create their own authentic um, psychotic chaos without any um, without any real rationality to it, um, that that makes for a much more interesting show. There's a risk, right? There's there's the there's like their formulaic boo when you're told, clap when you're told, pick a side thing. But then it could all go to, to chaos. And and a lot of the guests, and the audience members included, I don't think... Well, the audience member, there's a mass social element to not break the system. Because you can get booted, right? You can either get booted or you'll just... There's so many peers And I was stared around. down by that by that big guy who already threatened to remove someone. Someone, yeah. Yeah. I, I got some stares because at one point, just to see what would happen, I, I went down the contrarian road. When we were told to boo, I would try and applaud. I would try and applaud at the end. Whenever the person we were supposed to hate was making a point, you know, just towards the end of their empathic statement, I would start applauding and see what happened. And surprisingly i was maybe maybe you're not surprised but I, I was pretty alone on that front i mean people did what they were instructed yeah even it didn't it didn't matter it didn't matter who sounded more reasonable you know there was no there was no hope for that but even as a guest on the show there you they because i guess they're so malleable and they they have so and they're filled with such they're, they're so um yeah, they're so red-eyed. They have such that rage in their eyes that they they just don't think. They don't realize just how much control they really um, facilitate over it. Because the reality is, if they break the script or if they say something they're not supposed to say, right, or if they uh, don't listen to the director's instructions and just go on a crazy rant, there's oh, no yeah. one's going to – first of all, no one could stop them unless they have security come on and dr- drag you off, which would make it for good TV in and of itself. But they're going to use your footage regardless because – if they don't use your that footage, they just lost an entire segment of TV that they have to make up now. And they have all these people there, and, and every time they hit record and they bring these people in, like, that's money, right? People are getting paid for that time. All yes. those people are getting paid. Yes. So, so they can flip the script really however they want, but they choose not to because it's more difficult. And, and I guess for certain guests, it just prevents them from getting to their resolution because this is all hinging on some kind of cathartic revolution, resolution, finality rather, yeah. to it, right? Because it's all it's all mini 
episodes of TV, it's mini-movies, where the, you introduce characters, you immediately amp up the, the catharsis and the energy, you build it up to that rising action, and you hit them with the climax really quickly, and no one can dispute that climax because it's on the paper. Right, and the person who's not vindicated apologizes. That's kind of the model. No, they don't. Well, they oh, well, no, but they storm off. To. Right, you storm off. You lost, though. You clearly lost. Yeah. Like, there is there's a finality someone, There is a clear loser it's not, and a it's winner. It's not open-ended chaos. No, no, there's never a situation where... Because even, even with the dubious nature of lie detector tests, no one cares because they just want a resolution, right? They just want the movie to end. And even if it means that they get a result... Well, the paternity tests are very close. I mean, those are just clearly, you know, one way or the other. But the, the lie detector tests... I mean, you can then have an entire discussion of, well, was this a legitimate test? Like, do we, do we have any other evidence or factors that can indict a person under a certain thing or whatever? But in a situation, especially in a low-level situation where it's just like a cheating thing, it's not a crime, like, no one gives a fuck. Like, okay, yeah, they did it. Boo! And then you get your catharsis, you know you're right, and then you can go home happy. Right. One of the larger... What I think the most important truth that I learned... Uh, and and it's not that I didn't really know this beforehand, but it but it was made um, refresh. Not it was made very clear when we watched the show. These people are very manipulable. They are not they are not critically thinking about their situation because they're literally fucking saying what they're told. I think most normal people in this kind of intense situation and. The, and, you know, these situations, these kinds of crises, cheating and issues over paternity, they're not all senseless. They're not all baseless. They're not all necessarily, they're not necess- they're not all, they're not all irrelevant chaos. Obviously, they become part of what Matt and I would call the carousel of stimulation, but they are not this, um, they don't have to be completely irrelevant. However, most people in these situations, they'd be seeing red, but they wouldn't tolerate being part of a show. Who wants to air their dirty laundry in such a way where they become uh, animals in a carnival? Who would want to do that? Even, I kept saying this, and because this is one of the most frustrating things. The person we're not supposed to like, the enemy, the, pe- the person we boo when we first see them through the video or on camera, when they come out onto the stage and join the initial person who we support, or the audience is supposed to support. Everyone boos that person. And every time I said, well, let's at least hear what they have to say. But, you know, the person coming out, they don't even say that. They don't even say, hey, give why me a chance. Why are you booing ch- me? Why are you booing me? Give me a chance to speak. They always what? just play right into the right. role. They start, they start harassing the audience back. Right. Because they don't even understand that we're being told to boo. They exactly. take it personally immediately and, and make it into another fight. And you know what? If you were being booed by a whole stage of people, of course your reaction would be to to kind of, of course you would react to that. But no one is like there is no there is no acknowledgement. Ne- never, well, ne- yeah. If I could just finish real quick, there yeah. is no acknowledgement of the ba- of this basic overhanging truth that nobody has the fucking facts. Nobody knows anything yet. We don't even like there is no kind there's no there's no list of facts and dates there's nothing about this that's judicious at all we're just we're just we're just picking a side and going ham yeah and back to the idea of on that note of the the audience booing with uh, with guests having 
really unlimited amounts of power in the situation that they don't recognize. What would happen if some of a guy getting booed, right, one of these potential father figures or whatever, came out on stage, looked dead in the camera, and said, this audience is being told to boo, I'm looking over at the stage, pr- the, the production manager, it's all bullshit. Right, oh What my would God. happen? It would, why, the show would stop. Why could no one mention that? No one, these people, if, if you're, like, if... If you are trying to get vindicated, especially if you're the one being booed, why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you say, oh, come on, this is all a fake. I'm being set up. You you don't know anything about me. Let's just get straight to the paternity test without anything else. Yeah, well, exactly. Like, you can you can immediately... Like, if you walk out on stage completely cool-headed and just turn to the camera and say, it's all bullshit. The audience is literally just being told to boo right now. I don't have... I, I have nothing more to say. Let's just get to the, the answers. You you wouldn't look like an asshole unless of course you are the father or whatever. But at least in that, at least in those circumstances, you didn't make a ridiculous argument that made you look like an idiot, right? You, you just got the answer. You're just someone who got an answer on TV, and you're not you you, you didn't get caught with your pants down. Right. Whereas every single time, these people just walk out on stage and get caught with their pants down, and that's it. And they just yeah. fall flat on their face, and they and it ha- and they do this fucking nine times a day. So, like, and they've been doing the show for 25 years, so you can only can imagine that that, I mean, and to be fair, I mean, Maury's been doing, started out doing other things rather than just paternity tests, but he's been doing at least this kind of shtick for at least 15 years, so, like, countless hundreds of, hundreds, maybe thousands of people have fallen with their pants down and just never realized what the formula is, because they just don't care, and they don't think enough. Right. These people are dumb and stupid. I'm sorry, and it's it's got... That's it. That's the reality of it. That's the reality of it. Um, it's the only. It's the only thing that makes sense in my mind. And if you want to get into a conversation about ethics and justice, right and wrong, um, is the studio just exploiting people? Very real chaos, right? Because these situations, they're they're they might be senseless. They might be sensical or fantastical, but they're still real experiences these people are actually seeing red and viscerally angry over these situations but the studio just plops them up puts them on television tells them to say things which they say 90 percent of the time 80 percent of the time something about that to me seems just wrong i think and i think we have to have a we have to talk about this at least for a little bit yeah, like is is should should would a decent society let Maury be on the air? I mean, well, take it back just a little bit. The stagehands aren't explicit, like, just to clarify, they're not being told what to say or how to feel. I mean, they are being told um, headers. They're being told um, things to start. So, no, but like, at times the stage manager would do the thumbs down toward would would look at them and do thumbs down, like react like this. No, that, that was well, the thumbs down was more towards us, but it was more toward like the the main gesture that the state that the stage pro- manager would do was they would um they would they would move make their gesture hands. they would right. gesture to talk more talk more talk more you know fill up time it was stuff like that it was stuff like they were guiding because what can happen is when especially when you don't have people who are camera trained and aren't actors or anything like that you have to kind of tell them okay you know don't leave dead air you know if if all of a sudden one of us in the podcast just stopped talking and we were trying to gather our thoughts. Like, you know, we have so much to say, we keep talking, oh my god, my boyfriend did this and this and this, and then you run out of things to say, and you just go like that, and Maury's like, okay, and? 
and then they have nothing to well, say. Well, you know, Maury should have something to say, but you know, but he, like, doesn't, yeah, he doesn't. You can, he doesn't. You can exhaust it all, so that so that you need like a cue card to be held up that says, "Talk about your 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 boyfriend," or say that you want to hear the truth, or say how mad you are, right? Say how how hurt hurt you are. So there, that that was a couple of signs. Talk about how the cheating hurt you. Right? Right. To give lead-ins. Right, it's all lead-ins. Right, right, right. It was lead-ins and, and closings or whatever. Yeah, lead-ins and closings and things to ensure that there's no dead air. Um, and then to follow the, the question and to now. move And to move things along, yeah. too. Like, and That's today we is. find out it's a great moment for Maury to yeah, say, this, and the results are in. Yeah, because the argument could go on for hours. Because they probably have already had this argument for hours and hours and hours. But, we'll, but the, would they be seeing anything new? No, because people because <laughs> people just recycle their anger. I mean, you can right. recycle anger as many times as you want, as long as you have two willing participants who recycle their anger. They could just be angry forever. Right. If you got beef and you're seeing red, you will find the words, whatever they may be, to just keep even yeah, expressing I mean, it, that. Especially if it's a long beef, like people, like the thing about anger is that it's only is it's only viable for as long as you allow it to exist. So as long as you keep the argument going, you, sometimes, especially the longer, like you could have arguments that go on for years, and you can just rehash the same lines over and over again, but because they're based in anger and the other person's angry, they'll just reciprocate the exact same way. And yeah. it still feels cathartic because we all ha- always have energy to release. Um, so so the, you, you, to make it work in 11 minutes to get from beginning to end, like they have to push it along. They just have to facilitate their wording. And just make it flow into a narrative that we can digest in 11 minutes. Um, and then the ultimate question of whether or not this is moral is what we're getting to now. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, so you're saying, so you're saying, you know, it's not complete. You're right. You, you were saying, be careful, Adam. It's not completely scripted in yeah. terms of the guests. Because people will assume it's scripted. And the worst right, it's reality not. These is aren't actors. Not. These aren't actors. No. Well, yeah, obviously. But, right. Um, even still, the show... It's the show's framework every time. Mm-hmm. The person, the initial person sitting down as the fan of the audience, it's like... I mean, they even did a rehearsal of it with right. with the security guard oh God, and a couple yeah. of the PAs did like a straight up run through and they, they cracked jokes. They were literally cracking jokes and pretending to be like guests on Maury just to teach us when to boo and when to cheer. Like they had to do a run through. Um, yes. which was kind of interesting. And just to show us the format, but the format never changes. And there is no like objective which judicial everyone analysis. Yeah, everyone right, knows the right. format doesn't change. So they're not re- they're not releasing any secrets. We knew this already. They're just going through the process right, to show think us. Think about how it's still just exploiting real experience for like formulaic content. That's Wait, like 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 is 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 that right? Like and 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 like we have to really consider that these people don't know any better. I'm sorry. The the, no, the guests on the show. And, yeah, yeah, that's... Well, here's... Well, now we're getting into the real question of whether or not this is exploitation. I don't think so, on a certain level, just because... First of all, they've consciously chosen to be here. They're not forced. They're not slaves. They're not, they haven't been dragged well, out onto well, the stage. Of, do, you think, do you think there's any case where they want the paternity test? Well, how expensive are paternity tests? Hmm... Um, that's that I'm not sure. Because then we get into kind of a class dimension, right? That's true, actually, too. But you would think you would go through any other way. Right. You would think that there is some way to get a paternity test through, like, Planned Parenthood here's or, a, right, like, right, here's Medicaid. A, here's a $99 for complete DNA test. Oh, wait, here we go. A legal DNA paternity test typically costs between 300 to $500, which usually includes the collection costs associated with the test, 
non-legal paternity tests uh, start around thirty dollars for retail kit. Okay, so that's already that's uh, fairly three, a three lot. Three to five hundred. That's a lot for people under like thirty, forty thousand a year, mm-hmm. right? So working for working class Americans, that's a lot. Well, what happens? The the poorest Americans. Well, then you could also split it between multiple people, right? You have two parents, right. so you could also split it. People could different people two fifty per it. person. If you're in the top tier of five hundred dollars, the mother pays two fifty, the father pays two fifty. Right. And that's and the, and even though that is an expense, it's such an important expense. Right. I, I mean, tell me what you think, Matt. I I doubt that people go on because they can't afford paternity tests. I think that's although that would I mean that would prove like a that would make that would prove a class analysis that like that would prove. Um, that the show is kind of a reflection of immorality in society. That you have to go through this to get a paternity test. But I mean, if yeah. yeah, that's a greater comment on well, our society at large. But the, re- the the chances that they're reaching and saying, "Oh, we have to go to Mori to get the paternity test," yeah, I doubt rather that. than just spending two fifty a person, which I mean, two fifty a person means certain things to certain people. When you have a major expense like that, like if you're if if you have doubts, you're the father. Wouldn't you much rather put down two fifty one time payment and find out you're not the father and not have to make the child and support payments for the television. Like eighteen and not make the child support payments for eighteen fucking right. years? Like the the, the cost benefit analysis is so clearly obvious that you right. would just spend it. And there's got to be non or find that stuff money that help. Yeah, out and, and, yeah, and if if you look if you put in the actual research, you will find deals. You will find problems you could make a GoFundMe and say hey we need to know this answer and you'll get and you'll get five hundred dollars that's not and that, a lot i mean that's still draconian that in yeah, society no. we need to do GoFundMe. but if we're that. just talking yes, if yes. we're talking just the pure idea of this being right. exploitation they don't have to be on maury so they're they go- just don't. so right they're going on maury probably because at some level they want to be part they of a spectacle s- yeah they, 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 they want to be a spectacle spectacle or they want to humiliate their partner, or their right. And I did make that comment in the first episode, in the first uh, season aired. Actually, it's like yeah, like even the people up there know that this is a show, and the goal is to be entertaining. This is not and to beat the other person. Right. This and, is and, not any legitimate forum for working out these problems. And it's one thing to um, beat. It's, it's yeah. It's one thing to prove your ex wrong right it's one thing to prove your ex wrong about a paternity test it's thrilling it's no it's another thing to prove your ex wrong in front of an audience of 2.5 million people is that is that really how many people watch well i mean you're talking syndicated tv across the nation and plus their youtube audience yeah there's probably a lot of people just like folding one like i bet you just old people folding laundry and it's like oh look this is what's happening on tv 60 year old women named like sandra johnson (laughs) who just watch the trash just humiliate each other. Widow, like widows and oh widowers. I, I will. I don't know. Maybe, maybe younger people watch more. Actually, yeah, because the audience was audience, the audience fairly young. Yeah, the median the audience, age of that audience, even bet, without the fraternity, was probably 28, 29. Well, here's the thing: the young people know it's a fucking meme. The young people know it's a joke. Like South oh my Park. God. South the Park woman behind us it. in the first was season. Hysterical. Oh my god! I, I just like at one point she was really like hooting, like ooh, like. And like she's loud and out and outstanding as a as a as an audience member, and I just like turned around at one point after she did one of these oohs, and I just made eye contact and we just started cracking up, like she knew she knew what was good, every most of the and this actually gave me faith. I was so afraid that the audience would be extremely dumb and just just like 
just pick a side without any prompting. But I know that the audience kind of knows it's all a joke and is just bored and rolling with it. So it truly is everyone's going there to get some stimulation. Um, and uh, the audience is rolling with it, and it's top-down. We are instructed when to clap, when to boo, when to react. They show us at the very beginning a baby face, and we're supposed to go, Aww! They show us more. Maury brings out his dog at the beginning to humanize the dog, and then kind of like slaps the Wait, dog in the butt. That yeah, second. yeah, that, that's, that, that that's, was weird. That's important to happens, this whole thing because it happened very quickly, and it was right at the beginning. So like they didn't, they didn't have. It wasn't like he came um, out with his dog. Right, it's yeah. the first time we see Maury Povich. He just walked out with his dog, and, and no one announced him. It's like like there was no here's Maury. He just walked out on stage with the dog, said, "Hey everyone, it's Maury, and here's my dog. He's seven years old. He does tricks." And he took a treat out of his pocket. A, golden, a trained golden retriever. Right? Yeah, he, he yeah. threw the threw the treat in the air. The dog caught it. Everyone went, yay! He said, all right, get out of here. Let's do the show Sla- now. Like, slaps the dog in the butt, and that dog moves. And that dog just runs backstage because the dog is trained to do this routine every time. And it's like, he was so, like, Maury was so clearly, like, doing something that he does over and over again. Like, I think, he just brings the dog I out. I think the real goal of this dog... I, I don't think it's that far-fetched. I think the goal of this dog was to psychologically prepare us for the rest of it. And that's exactly what it was. Kind of, except with, really, with the baby and the cuteness element. And like, yeah, you just any, aunt the dog and right. the dog's gone. It was, it was meant to humanize the drama, yeah. right? Humanize the ultimate yeah. mechanical yeah. There's no way there's, mo- there's no way Maury is exploiting right. people if he has such a cute dog, especially a golden retriever, which is like the nicest of breeds. Right. And the most obedient. They're so, they're so loving and so loyal. That's what they're known for. I had one. They're very loyal dogs. So you have this incredibly loyal dog that you go awe about, and then they're sh- shoot off. So you get into this idea of feeling this um, emotional, empathic, right, extreme wave, and then it knowing how to make it go away and right. react to it properly. Right. You're primed. They, exactly. He primes you're you a primed. bit. And he would do this a lot. You're humanizing the model that's about that you're about to partake in and help create. But you're also like... You're also just getting the audience ready for the pure mechanics of it. Like, it, they come out, you, you have some kind of reaction, and they leave. But like, Ma- just like that. But Maury Three would, parts. Maury would say a bunch of things with, without context. And they felt scripted, but they just popped out of his head. Like, at one point, he said to the cameraman, you could take off next week. You could do Anderson Cooper. Yeah, no, he, he said, like, hey, hey, Kevin, uh, don't right. bother showing up next week. Yes. And everyone left yeah, first. Yeah, yeah, and he's like, oh... You know, he, he wants to hang out with that Anderson Cooper. And the audience goes, ooh. And then they hit record right at that moment. So they have some audience murmuring going when when, when right, Maury right, says, right. okay, on today's show, oh, here's what's happening. There were definitely happening. a ton of initiatives. Uh, a you, ton of different things meant to get... Um, prime the audience. Prime the audience. Which he's probably... Been, those, he, right. those, those, uh, those verbal tr- tricks he's probably been using for 20 years. He's like he's like a master of it. So, right, but they were also trying to just get like the equivalent of stock footage yeah. of the audience reacting with things like the dog, the Anderson Cooper comment, there was a camera directed right at the audience, always trained on the audience, kind of in a slot behind it was hidden. the center. It was the slightly stage. hidden. Right, right, looking Obscured. at everyone. Right, right, right. So it's like, it's one of those things where maybe it would have been a little bit different if we saw a gigantic camera behind the whole set. Mm-hmm. But there was a gigantic camera, but we clearly weren't supposed to always think of its presence. Yeah. So it could kind of capture a wider range of genuine emotions and probably just to have everyone looking down at the stage rather than directly into the camera 
and when you're a guy like him who knows how to play the, to, to the camera and has been doing this audience-based show... Right, because Maury looks into the camera, right? We well, yeah. never do, right. Well, what, I'm, what I mean is that since he's been running an audience-based show for like almost 30 years, it's that along the way, you have to be good at, at training an audience, right? So out of all those years, like at a certain point, you just get good at knowing what to say to make people just react. And that's what he does. He just would say things and that would just cause a reaction. Right. Yeah. And, um, this, it is of my, uh, my official opinion that this probably shouldn't, this shouldn't be on the air. I, I don't, I don't know if this should be on the air. Well, okay. Maybe, maybe if they agree to partake in it, partake in it, I guess why shouldn't it be it's on all air? ethical, consensual. I think that you can make you can make the argument that there are cultural, media, and political implications to the show. That you can condition people to get used to a very mechanical formula and know their part in that formula, and then you get everyone to stick with it. To clap at the right times, to boo at the right at the wrong time at the right times, just because one person was introduced under kind of a positive banner and the other person introduced under a negative banner, and you don't change from that. I think that we're at a point where the media could just put a D or an R next to some elected official's name, and that's already going to shape the reaction. And yes, I mean, if you caucus with a party in this country. You're gonna have a particular agenda. You like there is a reason you're being labeled like that, but I think I think the the political discourse in the in the media in this country on all kinds of issues, they just they want to polarize. They want people to not think about facts, objectivity. None of that means anything. Look at the O.J. Simpson trial. What makes more the Maury Povich show that different from the O.J. Simpson trial? Really? In what sense? In like. No one, no one cared. Like the introduction of new evidence wasn't meant to change, didn't play a role in changing anyone's yeah. mind, especially in the audience member. People just wanted their team to win. There was Team Juice, Team OJ, and Team, uh, I guess, uh, who was the woman who he, he, he Nicole Smith Brown. Right, Nicole and Team Nicole. Right, that. Maury could Maury could play a role in keeping continuing the conditioning of Americans to take sides like that to be completely irrational. This this fits in to our to like my and I believe Matt's larger worry about rising tribalism, baseless tribalism in this country. Mm-hmm. But Maury isn't a cause. Maury isn't a genuine cause because there's already so many other. Um, elements involved in that mentality he's just, no he's of just, course of course he's not. just profiting off of it which is fine i mean that's and he's been doing the same fucking thing for so long that his persistent existence isn't causing this problem to rise there are other facts it's just that's just he's just part of that you could say that this is human there's some human nature at work here it's not just a product of like american capitalism no. yeah people would find this interesting all over is is it's pure drama? It is one hundred percent pure drama. There's nothing. I don't think there's right. anything inherently wrong that should keep it off from the air. I just don't because, the, 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 from from at least exposition, escalation, conclusion. You're saying it's like this is baseline. It's a baseline. Theater. Yeah, it's baseline theater, without any subtext. 
it's just very pure. It's pure theater. Um, Over the things in our life that we arguably are the most theatrical about, right? Mm -hmm. Cheating and relationships. It's like, that's the, like, that's the one, those are the things that could make everyone's life a soap opera. Because there is so much genuine intensity in that. What is depressing, though, is just how little, um, how few things there really are to become emotionally psychotic about. <laughs> like Maury has Maury has Maury has two things. He has a paternity test and he has the lie detector. So you either tell lies, right? You cheat, or you or your babies. Uh, Adam Wilkos apparently has a little bit more going well, for him. Steve Wilkos. Steve Wilkos. Steve Wilkos. He's not you. Oh right, Adam Wilkos. Right, right. Adam Steve Wilkos uh, has another show. Uh, well, Steve Wilkos is um a mo- is another like monstrous example of just. I mean, it's almost it, it, no. That show's a little dystopian because that is a newer show. And, and, and they're dealing with far bigger issues. Like, the Maury show is dealing with situations that you you could find yourself in figuratively. You probably have. And well, well, that's just something, actually. Yeah. <laughs> if you're listening to this, you don't know who your baby's father is. <laughs> or you've been cheated on. Um, <laughs> well, she, cheating yeah. is more common or you, or you're than cheating. the latter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Steve Wilkos, they're dealing with literal crimes. In the same manner they deal with Maury, only Steve Wilkos is obviously more invested in it, which part of it makes it feel more um, more ethical. The fact that it doesn't feel so passive, they actually get really heated, and Steve Wilkos right. joins in that. You have a that. figure with some opinions about right and wrong, yeah. right? And Maury does not provide that yeah, at no, all. Well, he well the Maury show has it's 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 very baseline, but they have a they have an ethical structure that. One character is good and the other character is bad. Like, sometimes Maury will say, like, if they have a teen mom on or something, like, you see, everyone, you should be uh, telling your kids at home that they should not be having sex. Or, like, he'll say something like that. Or he'll say, like, oh, you see, this is what happens when you cheat. Oh, boo. Like, it's very, like, baseline ethics, right? There's no um, substance. If Angela was an Uber driver for all those years and didn't cheat on you, she's a keeper. Which is an that actual was, line from the show. Right, which was the, one of the most ridiculous comments. Yeah, it was, such a, it was such a low standard, but Adam immediately said, that's not how that works, so we'll find out if that made it to air, because <laughs> he just said it so openly, and I was like, what? What are you, what are you talking about? Um, the, the Wilkos shows, they deal with literal murders, they deal with child molestation. Also, no one noticed my contrarianism, which just goes to show you, like, no, no one, one really is, cares. Yeah, no one cares. It's like, yeah, there's there's no processing of anything here. It's just there to make content. It's literal content farming. Right, it's, right. It is baseline theater content. It's, it's, and it's interesting, maybe, you, it's like, it's almost like crowdsourcing the most basic drama, yeah. right? Like on my Insta story, over the cardboard cutouts of the uh, three show hosts, um, I, I just gave like a um, a word for each of them. So, Maury is truth, right? Because that's you know the lie detector paternity, while uh, Steve Wilkos is order, and then Jerry Springer's chaos. Because they're they're not really looking for anything. There's no resolution. They just want chaos, and that's just what Jerry Springer's always been. And that's why they're the. Cl- I mean, Jerry Springer's the classic one that everyone knows. That's a that's a real deal tabloid talk show um and maury is just kind of like this weird crossbreed of the a slight pinch of um jerry's chaotic nature while trying to refine it and make it digestible as like a a real reality like a talk show i think there is also something and maybe this is what makes maury separate us more but also why people like him 
So people like him, and they refer to, when they're on the show, they refer to him in the first person, and even on the bus ride there, I heard, like, the people behind us and some other people talking about, oh, I want to ask Maury a question. I wonder what Maury would think about that. They have this warmness to it. Right, right, right. There's a, there's, I mean, it's also ridiculous and manufactured, but there's a humanization of Maury. <laughs> like, oh my god, I'm saying he's not even human. Well, because he, he has, well, like, a little... He, he yeah. made certain comments that would be like what a normal person would say. Right, 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 right. He, he made like basic observations of what was happening around him that would make sense. Like he didn't, he didn't come across as an evil person. He came across just like again, he's the audience member and, on stage. And I think from there, people would then think Maury has the answer to all this crisis and this yeah. chaos. Like. I just gotta get in front of Maury, he's the and then we'll know the truth. He's the on-stage daddy, right? Like e- if you even though get... he doesn't even say much, right? Yeah. It's just it's his presence and the vindication part of the show. Yeah, because he has access to the envelope, he has the answers. Right. If like you, if you just want to fucking vent, just go on Jerry Springer. But if you're kind of like, if you're reaching for the higher shelf, like. I need, I need, this situation needs a little bit more guidance. It needs some truth. I need, I, that's why I want to talk to Maury. Then, then, you, then that's what makes Maury a little distinct. Although if you wanted guidance, Steve Wilco seems far more interested in doing that than Maury does. Also, pro- people probably just don't even know him. Well, that's part newer. of it. Yeah, he's newer. Right. But I think also Maury just has an aesthetic that feels more, like Steve Wilkos is just, he's a, he's a former bodyguard. He just has an intense personality, an intense build. He, 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 you know, so I think people don't see him as that therapist figure. While Maury, like Steve Wilco, stands the whole fucking show. He's just leering over right. people and just being loud and body. To people, to people, uh, kind of under under the guise of this whole stupid thing, Maury might seem like, even like a Mister Rogers kind of. Vibe. Yeah, because he's got the fucking sweater on. Right. Uh, yeah, Welcome exactly. to my neighborhood oh, here right, on Maury. He's an old white guy with a sweater with a soft voice. Yeah, he convinced people he's Mister right. Rogers. That's it. He just convinced people he's Mr. Right, Rogers. Right, I think, no, the, <laughs> the dumb people who love this show, and, th- and you know, what, whatever, they, they probably, and the people who think Maury's like a trustworthy, stabilizing figure, they probably think he's like a Mr. Rogers guy. Yeah, he walks out the same way. You know, like how Mr. Rogers enters frame. He's like, welcome to my neighborhood. He right. does the same thing. He walks right out from the back of the stage. like, oh, welcome, everyone. I'm he Maury. He pops up, he says his lines, and then goes away. And at one point, people were chanting, like, Maury, Maury, when you had that, like, uh, abusive mother on. But, yeah, he's generally warm. Like, there's definitely a warmness to him. He's def- he's not cold. He didn't just stand there, stare, just stare there coldly, right? He wasn't, like, wide-eyed and just blank expression. Right. But, he, he, would, he would have the inquisitive eyebrows, and he would lean in and nod. But if there was some dispute... Good listener. If there was some, like, half-innocent, half, like... If there was, like, some half-innocent dispute in a small-town neighborhood on a block in front of a deli, like, maybe you'd want to go to Mr. Rogers and get his perspective, right? Well, Mr. Rogers did a lot more. No, I know, I know. There was a lot, like, he he would, like, impart genuine wisdom and uh, onto his kids and really, like, build their self-esteem and confidence. But, like, making him more Maury-centric right now, if you lived in that small town... And your and one of your neighbors is Maury Povich. He's just the friendly guy you talk to. Maybe you go to his barbecues, right? If you had something going on and you 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 know you you help each other out with your snowblowers when it snows, you know. I'm sure he each lives on like a four acre mansion in Westport, Connecticut. Well, of course, but that's separate. <laughs> but like, if he was in your neighborhood, you would talk to him about stuff. You wouldn't feel that weird talking to him. He's relatively inquisitive. He has like a relatively like older person complexion with a 
hint of charm. You'd and... only see him at a red light in his BMW on the Merritt Parkway. Well, yeah, but like if we're if we're playing it up as he's the normal average Joe, kind of like older white guy who you okay. can talk to, like right, you right, can right. buy into the idea of him being an uncle figure that you can tell some stuff to. Yes, right. If you buy into the whole thing, yeah, and I, most people will. Most people aren't going to spend that much time thinking about Maury Povich and whether or not his show is like this weird exploitive thing. Right. Because he never comes across as a bad guy. He never says mean things. Right. And especially to someone who doesn't go there, right? If you're only if you're only watching, maybe you're it's one of those shows on in the background of like your laundry mat or like a like a we were we we just got Greek for dinner and there were there was like a TV on playing The Incredibles. If you just see him kind of in the background of a situation on a television screen, like you're probably like, "Oh, it just looks like some talk show," right? Yeah. Right. Um, especially if you see the shots of him where he's just kind of smiling warmly and making hand gestures. And, and, he, and, he, right. has, and he has a light, not, a, not an overt, but a light sense of humor, and he plays the audience member. And because he is you projected on stage, you immediately have that empathic element, right? When something is weird, he points out it's weird, and then you feel connected to him. But if you want to grow as an individual... <laughs> no, I'm serious. If you Now we're going to oh. grow here? <laughs> well... This is kind of this is the ta- the task for the task I want to present to my, the to our listeners at least me is think more critically about the world analyze people analyze institutions and when you break something like Mori down to your fundament to the fundamentals it's not just a warm guy in a sweater it's a program trying to make money and they're just throwing people on in in, in a ridiculous way and packaging it and telling the audience what to do and everyone's part of a production and and it's just that i think that there is like a value in seeing past the optics of you know maybe if you only know the show passively or you don't really know much about it or you don't go to see it you think more Mori povich is this warm figure who's bringing resolution to genuine conflict between people break things down and I think that's just a more enlightened perspective. I mean, obviously, I mean, yes. Um, another thing to point out, which is important, is that uh, we were describing the um, the way it works, right? How how quick these things move, how streamlined production is. All 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 studio based TV is just like that. It's just like that. I went to a Good Morning America taping. It's it's the same exact thing. It moves so quickly. It's um, stage ma- uh, stage. Uh, assistants running in on and off and moving things and telling the audience when to boo it's, it's it really is the same wherever you go this isn't anything different the real difference is the content that they're putting on the screen which is bringing people with a lot of emotional baggage and trauma but also having to be fucking idiots on stage and what you do with that right and the entertainment value is golden it is golden i mean that so yeah, pure. that's the other way to look at it it's um, so pure it's pure no, Sugar. it's not pure because they 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 know they're part of a show too, and they're trying to make it. No, but what's pure is the 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 oh the stimulation. energy. Oh right, 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 yeah, pure sugar. Cause, right, right, cause, right. Yeah, because you could watch a show, um, you could watch Game of Thrones, but even with like, and you get like action and you get like adventure, but you still have characters to worry about, and worry is like a big thing, and like identifying and subtext and writing all those things can go right out the window if in 11 minutes you can get your exposition your entire plot and a resolution which is completely tightly bound sealed 
and not have to worry about it again. It's it's, it's just a, it's spewing it up. It's eating a and quick often candy. those more sophisticated dramas can be broken down to like the fundamentals of Mori. It's yeah, like, but you have to break open the shell. Right, you have to break open with, the shell. There's no shell with Mori. Right, it's exactly. It's right there. Right, 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 right. It's like if you go into a candy store, you're right. It's the pure sugar. No, yeah, with any movie, you can break it down into the basic plot structure and take away certain elements. But with Mori, it's just right there, and they're not pretending it. There's no, there's no facade there. The only facade is that it's like somehow... Um, resolving anything or is in some way well-intentioned because no one it's not even there's no really even bad intentions there's just intentions there's just here's a thing we can do and it'll work and it does well there you go folks there you have it the pure carousel stimulation on maury povich uh this past friday and next friday we're going to see jerry uh steve (laughs) we're gonna go see steve which one Oh, we should go see Steve Wilkos. No, I, I, I have better things to do with my time, and Ooh, I think you do, too. I do. I actually do have things to do. Um, we'll, we'll make a post when our episode is supposed to air. We'll see if we can see ourselves on it. I was being especially... Oh, yeah, and we'll and we'll recap on the podcast episode. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. we'll, yeah, now we'll be able to go into a little more detail once we actually can play it back and see what it looks like, right? Because that's going to be a totally different element. Once we can see it on camera and see how things registered... That's a totally different thing. I was just, I was hissing. I was making faces. I'm wondering if because I was contrarian, if they're going to avoid having me at all. That's an actual possibility. It's possible. I was just trying to give them as extreme facial expressions as possible. Right. And I was just, like, instead of even booing, I would just scream hate over and over again. Well, there was the guy directly across the aisle from us in the last taping. He was so drunk. At one point, he went up onto the stage, right? And then he was falling asleep. Because, like, he was so much as an audience member. The fact that we were only across the aisle means we're probably, we're probably going to get into his frame. Yeah. So there you go. We're probably, we're going to be on TV. Oh, yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, it's yeah. a small audience, so it's a good, there's a it's very, a very small chance. audience. Yeah. So that's Maury. Very exciting. Very stimulating. We can't wait to do it again. Yep. In other news, uh, the 41st President of the United States, oh, George Herbert big, Walker big, Bush. Big segue. Let's do big it. Big right. segue. Uh, has passed away. Mm-hmm. He was the president um, from 1989 to 1993. He served four terms there. He served four terms. I'm sorry. Four years. He served one term. He was actually our last president to, our last former president to only have one term. Mm-hmm. We're right. We've now been in a weird pattern where everyone gets two terms. Get ready for <laughs> get ready for Trump twenty twenty. Yeah, because that's what's about to happen. Right. The cycle continues. It's just it just seems to be the way things are. Uh, I I I don't think that's a given. I just think that you know that that goes down to just how those reelection campaigns have been nineteen ninety six two thousand four twenty twelve, but um um uh, the this this I don't know this is George W Bush's dad. At, there's not that many Republican presidents still alive at this point. I think it's just going to be George W. Bush because right. Ford is dead and Reagan is dead. Yeah, so it goes Carter now. It goes Carter, Bush. Um, no, no, no. Carter, Reagan. Carter, who died? Well, no, I'm, no, I'm talking about people alive. Oh, alive. Okay. Carter, uh, Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a lot of Democrats. Yeah. Democrats, have, but Democrats also like tend to pick younger presidents too. Uh, they oh, go that's for the true, celebrity. Actually. Yeah, if you look at it, Kennedy, Kennedy, Carter, Clinton, Obama, 
all kind of similar. If you really look into political science and this stuff, you might, you know, each one is a separate phenomenon and each one's a different, obviously, but there is a common thread. The Democrats go for kind of that youthful, new f- flavor. Beto O'Rourke, Kamala uh, Harris. Right. Kamala, Kamala That's why they Harris. fucking love Beto O'Rourke. And I, I also think it's because he's. Beto O'Rourke is similar to a West Wing character named Matthew Santos. And everyone who loves politics and works in politics, they loves the West Wing. Yeah, I think um, I think Beto O'Rourke took away uh, that uh, Ted Kennedy the Third's fire. Oh, you thought he was? You mean because he was kind Joe of, Kennedy or is whatever? That his name? I think it's Joe. Joe something. Yeah, he was kind of like, the redhead. He, yeah, yeah, he was he was looking to be like that young uh, democratic figure that would be you know a revitalized uh, Kennedy figure and. I think it, I think Beto just took that away from him. I think he just I think do, he took that. I'm wondering, Matt, do you think Cory Booker is no. just like dead in the water? Yeah, he's no, gone. well, obvi- oh, you, well, obviously you don't like him, but he, he's dead. You no, think there's no? There's no excitement around him from anyone. Right, you're right. There's nothing. You won't have anything. He's kind, but no, he's not even a Marco Rubio where there's a lot of big money behind him. It's just him. He's, it just seems to be him and his little New Jersey fiefdom. Yeah, no, no one has interest. He won't do it at but, all. It'll be when the first ones out. Yeah, I agree. I, who the hell are they going to nominate? It's really... Bernie or Beto. Or right. maybe Bernie and Beto. You know, I want to see a ticket. Bernie, Bernie, Beto. Bernie, Beto. Oh, my God. You know what? Because you know what? Bernie's the older guy, so if they put a younger guy with him, it kind of evens him out the a little bit. The skateboarding Texas rock star and the Brooklyn Jew who relocated to Vermont. It would be amazing. Be it, no, people would love it. It would be, it would be a rock it star campaign. It would be campaign. star power. Oh, yeah. It would yeah, be a rock yeah, star campaign. And that is, honestly, that's kind of what the Democrats need. Right, yeah. Some, a little bit of that celebrity magic. I'm so, and and it's it's horrible and superficial that it has to be the case. Although they're they're both great. They, I would love it. I would I would. Well, Beto O'Rourke is not that left wing. No, but he's be, he's. I think he's better than the standard. I think he's better than what we usually get, especially in the past twenty. Well, right, years of especially Democratic if politics. he wouldn't be representing Texas as a senator. If he would just yeah. kind of be a Democratic VP. Because the guy's clearly liberal at heart. Yeah, you can you can see where he's coming from. Right, right, right. And he's yeah. clearly genuine. Okay, he's clearly yeah. no. There's there's a lot of good. With here. Bernie at the top of the ticket, I'm obviously okay with that. Bernie's actually rallying in Burlington, Vermont. Bernie Beto. Yeah, he could even yeah. If it's Bernie a, Beto, right? Um, he's let's ra- put that down as a prediction. Let's right. He is rallying now in Vermont with with some big figures of the international left. The mayor of Barcelona. Um, Fernando Haddad, who just represented the left in the Brazilian elections, even though the fascist one. Um, Giannis Varoufakis, an incredible former Greek finance minister. Basically, Bernie is doing his... Bernie's kind of getting the band together, and he's oh, yeah, been... he's clearly running. Right, he's, oh, he's clearly running, right. He, he's, he's, he's obsessed with like every Vox profile that he can get on himself. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see how that works. So about Bush Sr., Right, <laughs> which we completely who just ca- brushed who over. Who cares? Come on. Oh, does anyone? Does anyone listening? Do you? When was the last time you gave a shit about George H. W. Bush? Well, George Bush Senior. Who even knows what he's up to? I mean, yes, but if we, is there anything to talk about interesting in terms of his his, his legacy as mm. of worth? His his um um. Not he didn't do it. I wouldn't I mean, say if he we talk did about anything Iraq, to If we talk about Iraq, right? If we're right. talking about the, okay. the beginning of something of a global conflict that we're still involved in. So Bush's resume was very lengthy before he was president yeah. of the United States, including CIA director yes. in the 1970s, and he was in, he was he was part of the the process that got off the road, giving the um, the Taliban 
in Af- the Mujahideen in Afghanistan weapons to use in their insurgency campaign against the Soviet Union. And that was the mid and late 1970s. Um, and he was the ambassador to China at one point, too. That was under Carter. He was a World War II fighter pilot, too. Right. Well, oh, well, there you well, go. Yeah, yeah. well-respected guy in that regard. He, um, His father was a big businessman. He's he, he um, He's also from Connecticut completely. Born and raised in Connecticut, and then he relocated to Texas to follow the oil money. Mm-hmm. And then he was a congressman from Texas. He resigned his NRA membership, too. I forget really? why, but yeah, he, he stepped away from the NRA, and he voted for Hillary. Right. Isn't that interesting? So one of the themes with George H.W. Bush that now is kind of just irrelevant, because the party has been moving right for so long, and it's even moved right since Trump you know, jumped into this thing, he was always kind of a reasonable guy. Like, he was, he, he, he's not an extremist in any regards. Um, if you made a list of his pros and cons... You would you would find some like the shit he did in Panama. You could find shit that was awful that he did. Oh but my not- God! Well, on foreign po- foreign policy was the worst thing. Yeah, about that was the guy. worst thing. Right. But then you, if you look at everything else about him, there's nothing definitively like, like the the, the list you make of like pros and cons about the guy. Um, uh, there's nothing especially egregious besides his foreign policy, right? Right. And he has some uh, decent characteristics as a human being and domestically. Yeah. Well, no, I, I heard he groped people. I think he has, like, a... Yeah, he, he, was he, t- he was senile. Well, he just touched people from his, he, like, he, robotic he, wheelchair Yeah, yeah, something. for, like... I don't, I don't know where his head... I, honestly, like, people said the same shit about Stan Lee at one point when he was in a nursing home. It's, I think it's unclear whether he did any of that stuff prior to, like, 2010. It, yeah, it, or even, like, later. Like, they were, right. when they were talking about that, he was, like, wheelchair-bound. Who knows where he was? If he, He's just spent the last couple years hospitalized, right? Yeah, he was just not... It, I don't know. I don't want to make any definitive judgments on that, just because right. when you're that yeah. senile, like who the fuck knows where your where his head was at? Fair. Okay, that's a that's actually very fair. He's not. We're not going to me too posthumously, <laughs> posthumously George H. W. Bush, <laughs> just for the sake of our own stimulation. But um, he uh, the Republican Party was a more moderate institution unequivocally from the end of the World War II, 1945. Um, they did try and, I mean, they did, they targeted the Wagner Act. Uh, I also saw something somewhere where it said that, I don't know where I saw this, it said that, um, he had said that Reagan's economic uh, policies were like voodoo economics, like he said it was bullshit. Well, that was the, that was what I'm getting towards. Yeah, the 19, the 1980, let me just, just to go back, the Republican Party was a more moderate institution, and after World War II especially, they... And after World War II, you had President Truman, and they didn't get back into power until 1952. But when they did, they did not dismantle the New Deal. And the New Deal fundamentally transformed American society and um, readjusted the relationship between capital and labor in a way that was more favorable to labor. The, the Republicans did not adjust that that much. While they did gut some of the, some of the initiatives that made unions really strong, like uh, they supported the Taft-Hartley Act, the Republicans kept up, they kept Social Security, they kept financial regulations, they kept social regulations, and they kept the big infrastructure spending. Um, And a lot of the money that was being spent on the Korean War, they said, let's spend it on the highways at home. Um, A more moderate party, obviously the whole social, the civil rights situation of the whole country was worse, but... They were moving in the progressive direction, and the Republican, the Republican administration of Eisenhower 
was like generally supportive of the Civil Rights Act, never too much because they were eyeing the South, and it was definitely equal to the Democrats. The Democrats didn't outflank the Republicans on social issues until the 60s, but uh, outflanked them to the left. But um, the, Rep the Republicans started to move right with Nixon, and George H.W. George Bush was gearing up to run for president throughout the 70s while the party was drifting right and ultimately nominated Reagan. A lot of people mobilized for Reagan in the 1976 primary against Gerald Ford, but Reagan ultimately did get nominated in 1980. And George H.W. Bush called him an, like, an extremist and said, you know, what Reagan wants to do, completely roll back the New Deal, it's, it's nonsense. It doesn't make sense. But, alas, Reagan beat him, selected him to be the vice president, and when George H.W. Bush finally became president, eight years later, 1988, he did not really roll back Reagan's agenda at all. And, like, the, uh, the labor situation in this country was gutted, and um, uh, HUD was undermined, welfare was undermined, there were these huge tax breaks to the rich, which he just never, un he never undid any of that. So he's complicit and kind of the 40-50 year project of screwing the people of this country. And, I mean, that's, that's really his story. That, I mean, that's it. He, he, wasn't, he, he wasn't supposed to be part of this kind of right-wing drift in this country, but he was. Hmm. And it was happening during his term. It was happening one way or another. It was happening one way or another. And, and um, yeah. I just I find this interesting when we talk about when these people pass now, like, um, what gets talked about, like whether it be McCain or now Bush, is um, the main thing that gets highlighted is none of what we said, or even the positives. Oh, we don't yeah, even no, talk about no, that. No. Even when we brought the positives, those would get brought up. It's just civility. And it's There's just, not really that many positives with George Bush. It's just mm -hmm. not like a, a sea of negative. It's, no. it's like when George W. Bush dies, or, you know, I think that's kind of... Well, all you'll That's see... That's going to be a dirtier take. No. I, I mean, maybe from certain outlets, but the, the majority of the mainstream will just be... Oh, well, yeah. Remember us. Like, rem we'll, like, we will be tougher on George W. Remember back when there was civility in politics and the Obamas can take a picture with the Bushes? You want to go into that now? No, no, That's no, a no. whole thing. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, I, I you're wanna, right. I want to go super into it, but it's just kind of like the idea of a, a, a statesman being civil... On just a basic level, is yeah. now like a luxury. And, and canonizing it's something to them be, as heroes. Yeah, every single one's a hero. And, oh know. my, yeah. And it's just like, it, it, it shows how just shallow the whole political discourse is because they are defining, they're literally defining history by the hyper partisan terms of the present. Just because, just because they want to win elections. There's no, there's no, like, respect, they are, they're the ones who are not respecting America. They're the ones not respecting America because they want to fucking win the election so badly and pin Trump as just an enemy of everything good, period, that they'll say, oh, all other Republicans are good. That's it. It's that shallow. They want to say Republic, they want to say Trump is uniquely bad. And they want to try and win elections based off that. So every prior Republican was the same. Remember back in the day when Which, George Bush and Bill Clinton can take a picture together and smile and say nice words? Those are the markings of a hero, Adam. 
Right. It shows what little fucking respect they have for the actual legacy of America and American history that yeah, they will just completely trivialize them to just the most stupid, superficial canonization of heroes, right? Or and just the base level idea that they're being celebrated as heroes in the, in the modern take simply for being civil to each other as leaders of different parties. I mean, and now that is just such a a kind of luxury now right. at least what we're dealing with um that we just we don't acknowledge that that's a ridiculous reality it's just like wow he's amazing because he was friendly to his colleagues yeah and i mean they did this with john mccain big yeah, time oh, yeah, obviously big time too. oh the video uh excuse me miss uh obama is not a muslim <laughs> no well that i mean i actually have to appreciate that because that is, I mean, the Republicans have gotten so much crazier since that. Come the on, Maverick. Maverick. Oh, that. Um, yeah. And um, we also, Obama, like, had a Facebook post praising George H.W. Bush. But every person of color in this country should hate him because he re- he won the 1988 election on a racist ad. Oh, that was horrible. Right. <laughs> was it, it was called the Willie Horton ad. It was engineered by a guy named Lee Atwater who... Lee Atwater also said off the record once, but it got remembered in the history books, um, that the Republicans have basically won on racism by saying, by just spewing economic policies that everyone knows disproportionately hurt people of color. But um, the Willie Horton ad was like, if you vote for Michael Dukakis, who was the Democrat in the 1988 election, uh, this guy will get a prison furlough. And it just showed... Just kind of like, you know, a big black guy with a beard, like, staring up at the camera angrily. Obviously, like, meant to uh, satiate the most racist narrative that white people have um, about, you know, black criminality and law and order and all that shit. Yeah, so with that, um, <laughs> those are But Obama sentiments. praised him. Obama praised him. Uh, so, um, condolences to the... <laughs> Extended Bush family, including 43, right? Uh, rest in peace, 41. Uh, They'll be American fine. I have a feeling the Bushes Euro. will be fine. They have enough money. All right. Um, in this, in the, no, yeah, in this time, uh, our, our condolences need to go to Jeb. Comrade Jeb. Jeb. Do you follow the Jeb memes? I do. They're so fucking I do. funny. I, Comrade Jeb. God. You build this character in your head if of Jeb only, Bush as a revolutionary. It's beautiful. Won. Jeb Jeb would roll up his sleeves and fix Put on the beret, grow out the beard, go full on social. Also, it is another thing to mention. Like, if if Mitt Romney won, I know, like, no one, like, Mitt Romney has already been so long, but if Mitt Romney won in 2012, it kind of would have been like the Bush presidency, basically. Like, a moderate Republican, like, kind of leading a party that's just a pack of ravenous wolves like way more conservative than he actually is like Mitt Romney's clearly business republican like he's he's totally in favor of marriage equality and shit but just like really loves capital accumulation and money and low taxes and George H.W. Bush was kind of in the same mold wouldn't Um, it be a beautiful thing in 2020 wouldn't it be the great American story if right out of the woodwork Jeb comes out right presidential uh, debate against donald trump trump comes out in his usual red tie and suit and jeb comes out full camo with the beret and like when trump's like oh look it's low energy jeb jeb's like we're gonna cut his throat yeah. you know 
power yeah. to the people. Just crazy fucking socialist. Oh, Jeb. Yeah, Jeb. Oh. Yeah. Just like the memes, Comrade Jeb 2020. That would be a beautiful story in a way, right? If he just went full on, just crazy communist. To, the, was, was He's the, doing rallies with Ocasio-Cortez. Yeah, just these, he was the... He was the uh, the ugly duckling that became like a beautiful swan in the end, just like Imagine. a veered off the it prodigal son. It only would be Jeb Bush. There's no other repo- like. It's possible. I mean, it's possible. I I read a, like back in 2015 when I thought he would be the next president. I actually did, because also you got to remember in the tw- in uh, in the first quarter of 2015 before Trump entered the race, but when everyone was starting to. Jeb Bush raised a hundred million dollars, way more than anyone else. So, and he also was like, the Republicans also usually nominate kind. They have a next in line mentality, or they have had up until Trump. So, like, if you follow politics and all this, like, Jeb Bush seemed like he was going to be the nominee, right? Mm-hmm. It was, it was, you know, Cl- it was Clinton Bush again, right? It, right. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's that's what people were gearing up for. But um, Jeb, you know, um. He didn't. He did, I, so I was just reading up a lot about him, and he—he's an interesting guy. Like he's not—he's not that committed. He's not that like ideologically evil. I think he just seems like he, he just—he thinks like you know tax breaks for businesses helps people. Like he's kind of in his head. He, he's intellectual. Like he thinks this kind of economic orientation towards the world is a thing that like will actually bring like prosperity to people's lives. Um. And and that's impossible to capitalism. Um, we're not endorsing that at all. That but, um, I don't think Jeb Bush is like an evil sociopath. That's my that's my he basic. Doesn't seem argument. like it at all. Yeah, he gave. A he great... seems kind of real. No, he does. He yeah. does seem like a real kind of guy. Unlike Which, it maybe unlike sad Cruz, watching him get destroyed. Unlike Rubio, Rubio is just a robot. Like yeah, he was the one guy up on the stage that I felt bad for when he got destroyed by Trump. I wanted so bad for Jeb to just say, "Shut the fuck up, you weird perverted freak." Go back to your penthouse and shut the fuck up. If he had said that, he might have won. It's so astonishing how none of those Republicans had a real plan to deal with Trump. Isn't that crazy? It shows you just how fragile the system is. Yeah, oh my god. I I think anyone on the left could do this. Anyone on the left could get on that debate stage and just go ham. That's what I would That's do. That's all you need to do. You just yeah. need to tear him. You just need to tell him, you're a weird creep who probably fucked your daughter. Go home and die. He, what can you possibly say to respond? That, right, and that's that's what... Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's it. You have to just out-Trump it. You have to go to that level. You can't be so fucking conventional. You can't respect the norms. You need to bring a prop. You need to bring, like, a thing of bleach and say, here, here, Donnie, drink it. It would be good for all of us. Like, it would just stunned America. We also, You'd right. win on that. Yeah, you'd win. Sh- show us your dick. Yeah. Show <laughs> us your dick. We don't buy it. We know it looks like a fucking mushroom, you freak. You weird sideshow freak. Right. Like, that's but, it. Yeah, just bully him until a, he cries. And on a more serious note, like... Think about how norms and respecting the process, respecting a sensible discourse, really limits the ability to fucking handle Trump and yeah. to just kind of kick him out of there. Because no one Republicans no one and wants Democrats that alike. No one wants that to No. Oh my god. They just no. want the crazy. They no. want TV. They want Maury. No fucking people aren't fucking politically correct. That is not the the language of the common people is just vulgarity and emotion and reaction and and just blunt truth like i think that's why people appreciate like the rudy giuliani kind of brand Mm -hmm. um and at least you know with the rhetoric and the discourse like and trump is that holy shit trump is trump speaks the language of the people and and then even when he's just explaining policy 
he's like, well, of course, well, actually, you know, believe it or not, he uses he uses terms that people actually use. He's not a fucking alien data nerd. I that's like I don't know how best to put it. And it, when everyone else just like gasps at that and says, oh, you can't do it that way. What they're really saying is, how dare, how dare you change the norms and the process? And I went to college, I have a college education, how dare you make that irrelevant to power and the ability to have the prestige to be president of the United States? That's the real reason why all these rich white people who are turning on Trump don't like him. They're rich white Democrats. But it, the norms limit our ability to resist Trump because he can activate the language of the common people and everyone else stigmatizes using it and will never be able to just shut him down with that very language his only issue is that the more the more he's in the the spotlight the more obvious it is that he's full of shit and even like trump yeah and while his base like the real base the ones who show up at the rallies that base they're never gonna see the bullshit they have no interest in seeing the bullshit they've had their minds made up from the beginning the people who voted passively because he has that talk of the people or whatever I have to imagine some of them are just getting annoyed because so the, the news all, is a, so not that's positive. That's not a lot of people. The people who like you are they usually do they usually vote Republicans or are they? Yeah, swing? people just go for oh. Republicans. I oh. think that base. I think that's much stronger than the, the people at the rallies. But while Trump himself doesn't have that much substance, the Republicans are working on conservative issues, primarily mm. tax cuts and ending Obamacare, which is what they kind of campaign on. Yeah. And immigration. So right? actually, yeah. so issues. They actually campaign on issues. And Absolutely. And look at the remember the midterms. Like the Republicans still won those Senate seats. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So we got to break convention. That's we it. We got to right, but you got to break convention while also still articulating liberal policy issues yeah, to kind of to keep the same Democrats in line too. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that. Yeah, that sounds quick. like a wrap. Um. So, do, is there any uh? Do you want to try to tie it together? Is there any way of doing that? <laughs> what we just spoke about? From Maury to, from oh. Maury to Anderson Cooper to uh, Donald Trump. Think before and, you and, pick a side. Demand the fucking information. And yeah, maybe you don't even just pick a side. It's just issue by issue. Yeah, don't, don't boo until you know who you're booing at. And if you're being booed, make sure that there isn't a little person in the corner telling them to boo you find out where the root of the anger is and address that rather than the general energy that's floating around yep that seems to be the lesson here that's the lesson and and keep keep riding the carousel and we'll be back with Eating our up. very first secret guest oh secret in episode four our very first guest we're very excited you for you to meet her or him does that mean we don't know who it is yet I think we know. We we pretend we know. We we pretend like we have one, and they just like they they think we have one, but we did we don't. We have to figure that out. Oh, okay, we're gonna have to really figure. It out. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah it's a, gr- a great episode coming up. Uh, Maverick. The Long Island Blues. Maverick. Water. Water. What is it? It's a vowel, actually, called a coffee.
Coffee. Coffee. Coffee. Coffee. Coffee. Coffee. Coffee. Coffee. Coffee. Coffee. Coffee. Coffee. Coffee. Coffee. Coffee. Coffee. Coffee. Coffee. Coffee. Coffee.